Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Thank you for being here today. It's it's a pivotal day in your walk with the Lord. Anytime you put yourself under the preaching of the word, you have an opportunity to go to the next level if you want to. Otherwise, it's just an exercise and you coming and hearing someone speak. So it's all about, Lord, open my heart. Lord, I want to hear from you today. I really need a word. I was talking to someone earlier, you know. Every one of us comes in here with a suitcase full of stuff. And whether or not you leave with it is going to be up to you, right? Um, we, we, we don't push a rope up a hill. We can't force a person up a ladder. You got to make those decisions yourself. And so, Father, we just open our heart to you this morning and pray that uh, as the word comes forth, it's sharp and powerful, able to divide even the joint from the marrow. And we ask that you would uh, lead us, Lord, into truth and more than that, uh, applied wisdom so that our lives might reflect your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We have to have a little bit of uh, wallpaper before I can hang some pictures, so there has to be a little bit of backstory here for you uh, to get yourself in the right frame of mind for what I want to share with you today in a message entitled, You're Not Alone. It was the 8th century B.C., all right, so don't tune out. It was the 8th century B.C., and Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, if you know anything about that, and the northern kingdom had a really, really wicked king and a really, really wicked king's wife. Uh, Her name was Jezebel. His name was Ahab. He was a really, really bad king of the northern kingdom. And they had brought in, uh, particularly Jezebel had, she was a a promoter of Baal, Baalism, Asherah. You've heard of Asherah poles, perhaps. And so as, as the story unwinds, here's Here's Elijah. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about Elijah and Elisha. And if those words sound the same, they're not. They're two different people. Elijah, a little bit older, his, his successor is Elisha. So I've said that correctly so that if, not if, but when I misspeak, <laughs> if you've ever heard a sermon on Elijah and Elisha, you go, he didn't say that right. That was really Elijah or Elisha. I ask for your forgiveness preemptively. As, and may not correct myself because I probably won't catch it. So Elijah and Elisha, two different people. And Elijah was the prophet of the day. And uh, he was a man of God and he wanted Israel to come back to God. And so as the story goes on Mount Carmel or Carmel, uh, the mountain of God. Uh, in fact, if you, uh, if you have... You know, you have 66 books in your Bible, but the 67th book is the book of maps. And in the back, you have the, 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 the outline of Israel. I don't know if you ever noticed, but there's a little, there's a little bump on the, on the upper side that jetties out into the Mediterranean. That's where Mount Carmel is. So you have the ocean. You have the Mediterranean Sea to your back, where they gathered up all the water to pour on the sacrifice. And then you turn and look inward, and then you have the Valley of Jezreel, where uh, the Battle of Armageddon will happen which is not some little valley like Green Valley just south of Pekin. It is a valley like, not like the Great Rift Valley, but it's very, very huge, uh, very, very wide, 20 miles wide or so. And in that, the blood of horses will be 
up to the bridle of a horse during uh, the last days. It's, it's a tremendous place to visit. And this is where Elijah took on these false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And as the story unfolds, what happens is Elijah defeats these uh, false prophets and Ahab and Jezebel get all sideways with him and they want to kill him. And so he's on the run. And so he runs um, all the way down to Mount Horeb takes him 40 days to get to Mount Horeb. Well, you say he was at Mount Carmel, he's at Mount Horeb. Okay, geography lesson for those who don't understand Israel's layout. Mount Carmel is way up north. Mount Horeb is down in the Sinai Peninsula. It's 350 miles away. It's like going from here, Springfield, Illinois, to Dayton, Ohio. That's how far he ran away. Because he said, boo hoo hoo, I'm the only one. He said, I'm the only one left. Nobody else loves God like I love God. You think that's what happened? Well, here's how the story unfolds. In 1 Kings 19:9, there he went into a cave. Where is he? At Mount Car not at Mount Carmel, at Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments, down in the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. There he went into a cave and he spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him, quote, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember what's just happened? He just took on the 450 prophets of Baal. He's on the run. He thinks he's all alone. He's gone from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. He thinks, I mean, he knows Jezebel wants him dead. Ahab wants him dead because of the havoc that he's caused in showing that God is God. The God who answers by fire is God. And so Elijah replied to the Lord, he says, I've been, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. But the Israelites, oh, hold up there, Elijah, you're one of them. Those people, the Israelites, no, you are one, right? Verse 10, Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down all the altars and put prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. And there was a great and powerful what? Wind. And after the wind, there was a earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in any of those things. And he came, and after the fire came what? A gentle, say it, whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled a cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice, the voice of the Lord said to him, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, I don't have time to rehearse the whole story for you, but just a couple verses later, there comes another reckoning, and the Lord says, listen, you need to get down, and you need to go find Elisha, because there's still 7,000 of you who have not bent their knee. See, he thought he was all alone. He was on the run. Nobody loves God like I love God. I'm going to have to do this alone. 
I'll just go back to Mount Sinai. I'll go back to the Ten Commandments. I'll go back to where this thing all began, and it'll just be me. I'll just go back to that place. It'll just be me, and I'll sulk out the rest of my life because I love God, and those Israelites don't. Or I love, I love God, and nobody in the church loves God like I love God. And they're just a pain in the rear end, and I, I'd be better off without them. I'm just going to do my own thing. And... You ever felt alone like that? I felt alone like that. Right? You're going to go for God and nobody else is there to go for God with you? I don't know. But I want you to know that you're not alone. In 1 Kings 19, a couple verses later, like I said, verse 18, the Lord says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knee has not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And then God gives the remedy. He says, get down off this mountain and go find somebody to get connected to. Verse 19. So Elijah went from there and he found who? Elisha. And he was plowing 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So here's a man. He has 12 yoke of oxen. So he's got 24 oxen. It, it, it doesn't directly tell us, but indirectly tells us a very wealthy man. And how do we know they were his oxen and his cart? Well, we'll learn that here in a second. But he's a very wealthy man. He was well off. Elijah went up to him, meaning Elisha, and he threw his cloak on him, verse 20. Elisha then, and that's a sign that, hey, come be with me. Be a disciple of mine. Let's hang out together. Let's do life together. Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come. Elijah said, go ahead, what have I done to you? Nothing. Verse 21, so Elisha left him, went back, and then he took his 12 yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He cut them up. And then the plowing equipment that he had, he burned it, the equipment, so that he could cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then they set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Three things Elijah did for connection. Number one, he had to move. He'd been on the run for 40 days. He found himself on top of Mount Carmel, isolated 350 miles away from where the whole story began. I can say clearly that Elijah worked very hard for his privacy. He had an unlisted phone number. He had a privacy fence up in his backyard. He had tinted windows on his car. He didn't want to see anybody. He didn't want to talk to anybody. Just me and mine, my backyard, my people, my stuff, me, mine, mine. Just us. He was always late for church. He was early to leave. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't go out to lunch with anybody, any other believers. Didn't go on the canoe trip. Didn't want to go to the softball game. He wasn't even planning on going to the Connection Conference, which the church has been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And weeks. Reminding you, telling you, it's a Sunday night. Just one extra service, Sunday morning and Sunday night. But you've... I'm just a consumer. I'll go if I feel like it. 
We'll see how they do in the morning as to whether or not I'll go in the evening. I see they're offering childcare, probably not, not, probably not for my kids though. The Lord said, no, no, no. <laughs> you gotta get off of that mountain. You gotta get off your height, get off of your mountain, come on down and mingle with us common people. So number two, what he had to do is he had to force, forfeit the big man on campus moniker that he had been wearing and admit that he was wrong. Because he, he could have stayed up there, but he didn't. He came down. Now for some people who are filled with pride, admitting that you're wrong is a very hard thing to do. I have the epitome of pride and the person who cannot admit that they were wrong in this little video. Take a look. Don't forget that Fon's real. I mean, it's not important. <laughs> I figured I'd hang in the barracks and cheer up the guys. Mal, you're not going to hang these up in any barracks because you're not going to join the Marines. Just take all this stuff home, okay? But Fonzie, not join? I'm all packed. You told me it was the right thing to do. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was risen. <laughs> Ralph, I was risen. I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's right, Malfa. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Wrong? The Fonz wrong? Unfortunately, there's some Christians there. They just can't admit they're wrong. And so you'll continue to get what you've always got. Because you're unwilling to come off the mountain and engage. The Lord was saying that that was a bad idea, Elijah. What you did was a bad idea. More than that, Elijah, it wasn't just a bad idea because that's a colloquialism for being not quite right. Wrong. It's okay to be wrong. I've been wrong a lot. Told my wife this morning, I'm sorry. What, I left the ironing board up or something. I said, I'm sorry about that. That was wrong. I was wrong to leave that. Sorry that. You should, cut, you should not, in a, not in a just a verbal feel kind of way, but if you did something wrong, say, yeah, I'm sorry. I did that wrong. I'm sorry about that. That's a good posture to have, and Elijah had to learn it because it wasn't just a bad idea, it was wrong. So God's saying there's a good idea. What's the good idea? Get off that mountain and come down and be with some other people because there's still 7,000 authentic believers. So God, in verse 15, actually says, get back to where you were. Go back that way. A life as a Christian, a life with Christ, I don't know why this stuck with me, but it's like a kiss. You can't kiss alone. A life with Christ is like a kiss. You can't do it alone. Can't be done alone. So he had to, number one, move. Number two, he had to admit that he was wrong. And number three, he had to go seek out the connection. Watch this. He had to go seek out the connection. He was in the wrong place. The Lord said, you need to move. You need to get down and find connection. He didn't 
and I've seen it so many times. I've been at this now for like 32 years, 33 years. I've seen people with their arms folded and saying, people should come to me and connect with me. Nobody around here is friendly. No one even came up to me and asked me my name. No one even shook my hand. Really. What what we have here in this paradigm is you're wrong, get off your high horse, and go find somebody to connect to. That's what the Lord told Elijah. Now, you can interpret that any way you want for your own life. But come on down, find somebody, and connect with them. Well, I tried. Well, then try again, right? What did mom tell you when you were a kid? You I don't make any friends at school. Then you got to be a friend to have a... Right. So if you, come, if you come late and you leave early and you don't know anybody's name and you don't stop by the information, you don't stop and talk to somebody and you begin to come off of your Mount Horeb and find somebody to connect with you, well, it's just me. I'm going to do it alone. No, living the Christian life is like a kiss. You need somebody else. Is this making sense? Sounds a little bit like koinonia last week, right? Koinonia, the fellowship. Cheryl and I are reading C.S. Lewis together, and uh, he he said something this past week in in what we were reading. He said, there's no such thing as bad Christians. You know how we say, oh, he's a good Christian. He's he's not a good Christian. He's a bad Christian. There is no such thing as a bad Christian. It's called an unbeliever. It's called not a Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. There's no such thing as a bad Christian. So those are the people you need to connect with. It's a two-way street. Go find some good Christian friends. Sign up for the softball game. Do we have a sign-up sheet for that or are we just showing up? There is a sign-up. Wonderful. Put me down, Joey. <laughs> Come on out to the Connection Conference. Being connected, and, 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 I, and I don't, I don't want to overstate this, but I think it's going to be vital and more vital as we live in the last days, and today is more of the last days than yesterday was more of the last days. So, you know, just be, just be on the lookout for monkeypox. That's all I got to say. It's the new emergency because three people have died from it. Because three, it's not hyperbole, three people have died from it. So it's about to be a national emergency. Because they need emergencies to control us. But that's, that's, that's a different sermon on a different day. We need to be connected more than ever. We need to have each other's back more than ever. There's 7,000 of us. In Israel, there were 7,000 of them. If you're not connected, you're just... That zebra wandering away from the herd that's going to be easy pickings for the roaring lion. These people that you connect with, we're not perfect, right? We're all on this journey together. People don't always do things right, but um, it's not the world. This is not that. There's a lot of things that have happened in the church over the years that should just be, just be dealt with uh, 
in a contractual manner because that's, that's where we live the other six days of the week, but the church is not that. We're very covenant-based. Covenant Miles and I were talking about, we were talking about that just this week together. That, that, the, that, that the world who deals contractually is an entire system built on distrust. I don't trust that you will live up to your side of the contract, therefore sign this so that I can punish you if you don't. There'll be punitive damages, punishment damages awarded me because I distrust you from the beginning. I don't trust you, so sign this. That's what contracts are. They're based on a system of distrust. Where covenants are based on a system of trust. I believe the Lord working in you is gonna be awesome. Does that mean you're not gonna mess up? No, the problem means you're gonna mess up, but I'm not gonna hold you to a contractual standard. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that? That even when we break our half of the equation, God says, ah, this is a covenant. You can't get out of it. I'm going to love you anyway. So Elijah had to move. He had to admit he was wrong, and he had to seek out connection. There they are. That's what Elijah did. But Elisha did something too. He walked away from his security. He left his mom and dad and he burned the bridges. Let's talk about him real quick. Number one, he walked away from the security of his ox. He had to leave his prestige. He was a wealthy man. He walked away from the family business. But God wants me successful. Um, God doesn't ever demand that you be successful. He only demands you be faithful. God does not demand that you be successful. Besides, what is successful? Being faithful, that's successful. Joshua knew about being faithful. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, Do, do, keep this book of the law, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So he had to do. He had to be faithful and then success followed faithfulness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, there there is something you've got to do. And when I talk about leaving your father and mother, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like, hey, mom, forget you. Hey, dad, forget you. He had, he had to leave them. And in Ephesians 5, 31, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two should become one flesh. Yes, he physically left his father and his mother, but he didn't forget his father and mother. Some of you are grown adults and your mom and dad still run your life. Can we just hashtag real talk for a second? And some of you are the parent who's controlling your adult child's life. Knock it off. He said with a smile because a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Soul ties. Soul ties. That's what we're talking about. Leaving his father and mother. Friendships. There are friendships that you have to leave. Elijah to be in connection, Elisha to be in connection with Elijah left his mom and dad. He left his, left his ox, left his wealth, 
And he said, I, you know, I'm, I gotta leave my mom and dad. The most important thing to me is not those things. Soul ties. A soul tie is something in, in your soulish realm, in your soulish realm, well, you're a tripartite being, right? So you have your mind, you have your will, and you have your emotions. Uh, that is your soulish realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions. I have a spirit, my spirit in communion with God. I have my flesh, Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. That's this stuff that's wrapped around my bones. So I have flesh and blood. I have a spirit, but I also have a soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. When you have ties to things in your soulish realm that war against, hinder against your spiritual relationship, those things are called soul ties, and they're like running with an anchor. And there are ways to get out of that. We'll talk about those here in a second. But I have seen... And I'll just be honest, I've seen this a lot where churches are concerned because the church is dead, it's dry, there's no life there, there's no anointing there, and people remain in that church because I gave money to buy that organ. Or I gave money to put that carpet down or those chairs or, or my child and my grandchild were baptized in that church, so I'm just gonna stay there. And people have talked to me over the years. They said, Pastor, I'm going to stay in that church. You know, it's dead, it's dry, but, you know, I love that church. You know, I raise, helped raise the money to buy that church. And we're going to be in that church till the day we die. Well, you're already dead, sir, because there's no life there. You can't get water out of that well. Well, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to change it. I used to say, good for you. Now I say, no, you're not. I used to say, good for you. You know, what just makes that little old ant think he can get that rubber tree plant? Anybody knows an ant can't. What? Move a rubber tree plant. Why? Because fish rot from the head back. You're not the pastor of that church. You're not going to change it. Only the pastor is going to change that church. They're the leader of the church. And if you have a board-run church, you also have issues too because everything is decided by committee. Presbyteries, Presbyterianese, Presbyterianese, a, 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 a committee for everything, you know. Committees, a cul-de-sac where good ideas go to die. <laughs> Just make the decision. Who cares if it's blue carpet or it's red carpet? Who cares if it's blue carpet or red carpet? Well, if I make it a vote, if I make, hey, we got two colors of carpet to pick from, red and blue, and you all pick red. 50% of you pick red. You all pick blue. Ah, that, and, and then there's this, maybe 51% said red. Well, then the 49% whose, whose carpet choice wasn't picked is going to remember for the next 40 years, every time they walk in on that red carpet, doggone it. Who cares? Who cares? I have notes here. I'll get back to those in a second. I, I just want you to know about soul ties. They're real. They're real. And they will hinder you in your relationship with the Lord. Elisha had this fantastic opportunity to figure to hitch his wagon to Elijah. I mean, the dude calls down fire. I don't think I want to. 
You know, that's an awful big commitment. I like it here. Like my ox, like my mom and dad. I'll support you. I'll cheer you on. No, Elijah says, come on, let's do this. Let's do life together. A soul tie is a seducing spirit, a familiar spirit. It functions as an invisible umbilical cord. So how, how do you get rid of a soul tie? A soul tie? Um, some people, uh, I, I've seen where, let's say, a man who had girlfriends, this is an example, Man had girlfriends before he was married, then he married the love of his life. Congratulations. But he has in his desk drawer a little locket that one of the girlfriends gave him from years before. Is this real talk or not here for a second? So there's a little locket in his desk drawer that no one even thinks anything about, but when he opens the drawer and he sees that little locket, his little soul tie goes, doink, 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 doink. Oh, that was so nice. That was so kind. Oh, she was so sweet. Throw it away. Burn it. Roll over it with a steamroll. I don't care what you got to do, but get rid of it because your soul is connected to her through that thing. And if you don't like that, this is reality. This is where we live, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to have a victorious Christian life, that would be another great title for this sermon other than you're not alone. You want to have a victorious life? Delete is a powerful button. Delete. Not just unfollow, where you can sneak back and look later. I'm not following her. I'm just, you know, I've unfollowed her. Well, you know how to find her. Delete. The photos, get rid of them. There's no reason for those. There's no reason to have those. Unfriend. Unfriend. Just unfriend them. Why did they, they wouldn't like, and that hurt their feelings. Unfriend them anyway. Say Pastor Eric said it was okay. If they, get, if they get really angry. So Elisha walked away from his security blanket, his ox and his cart. He walked away from his parents, and then one of my favorites, third and final, what did he do? He burned the bridges. In 1 Kings 19.21, it says he cut up the ox cart, the ox and the carts. What does that mean? That means when you eliminate, listen to me now, when you eliminate alternative paths, when you figuratively burn the bridge behind you, it clears your mind marvelously to say, that's the way I have to go. Because, but I have seen it, you have too. If you leave a little breadcrumb and you you know it's there, nobody else knows it's there, but you leave a breadcrumb and the going gets tough, what do you do? You get a little hungry. I've got this breadcrumb, this relationship. My wife's not showing me the attention that I need. My husband's not showing me the attention that I need. There's a little breadcrumb back here. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you need to hear this. Get rid of all that stuff. Burn it up. I mean, what, what could Elisha could have done? He could have given all that. No, he said, I'm, I'm cutting up my ox carts, and I'm going to cook my ox, all my ox carts, and I'm giving it all away. There's nothing left for me to come back to here. 
are you going to go on in your relationship with God? Or are you always going to say, you know what, there's this other thing, you know, if Christianity doesn't work out or, uh, you know, they leave or they hurt my feelings or that church does that. Hey, grow up. Grow up. You having a way of escape in your plan towards the cross is a sin. It's hypocrisy. It doesn't mean you're not going to stumble. It doesn't mean you're not going to fall. It doesn't mean you're going to have, have, have missteps. But when you premeditate by just leaving little crumbs of relationship, soul ties, you leave those things around. But ladies and gentlemen, you need to burn the bridge. Burn the bridge. It'll clear your mind, Mark. I cannot go back to that. I, uh, I, I saw a picture recently, you know, you know, school, school, uh, school, uh, what do you call it? Supplies. School supplies are already out at Walmart and Halloween candy is already out at Walmart. I was just there yesterday. Why I go to Walmart on a Saturday, I should have my head examined. I was 12 people deep in, in checking out my own stuff. And then the guy at the door wants to see what's in my bag. Wait, you trust me to check myself out, but you then want to look at my bag? I don't understand that. Anyway, I digress. School. This all came from school. School's, school's back, right? School's coming back. And you know when um, uh, your, your high school senior goes away to college. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You've seen the photo, and that's what I'm thinking of, is where they just jam all their stuff. They jam all their stuff in their car. And there's a couch sticking out one window, and there's, <laughs> right, 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 there's a roll of uh, carpet sticking out of another window, and then things are lashed down to the top of it. That's how some people go through their life as a Christian. Burn that stuff. You started fresh, Right? When you came to the cross, you, you came naked. You came just as a wretch. But now we've collected stuff over the years. You need to, sometimes you just need to go back to the cross and burn it all again. I said you may need to go back to the cross, burn it all down, and start fresh. That's not bad on you. That's good on you. Because isn't that what we're supposed to do every day? I don't want to carry anything that I'm not designed to carry. Because when I try to carry things I'm not designed to carry, I get worn out. When my daughter, my granddaughter trying to swim, we, we got water balloons. We got water, we got balloons, and we filled them with water, which is fun in a pool because they don't pop very easily and you can play with water balloons in the pool. But when you hang on to water balloons and you try to swim, it's, it's, it's not advantageous. It slows you down. It's a lot of drag. There are things in your life, there are rolls of carpet sticking out of the windows of your car, right? There's a couch hanging off. You just need to get rid of it. So the question is, what's hindering you in your connection with God? Well, Elisha chopped it up and burned it as a sacrifice to the Lord. So, do you, th I just want to do a little role play here for a second. Elisha has been presented with a relationship with Elijah. He says, I, 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 I should follow him. Okay, I know I should. 
I know I should, I know I should, I know I should. And then he cops a bad attitude while he's chopping up his ox cart. Do you think he had a bad attitude as he was tearing that stuff up? I think he was delighted to tear that stuff up. And some of us sometimes, you know, praise and worship. I'm going to do a series on worship coming up during praise and worship or prayer meeting or tithe and offering or what, whatever. Listen, we should be excited. God loves a cheerful giver. Elisha was giving. He was giving his meat away. He was giving the oxygen. He, he was happy to do it. Are you happy to do it when God pricks your heart about doing something? I know it's the right. right thing to do. I hate doing that. Well, then you may as well not do it because there's nothing in it for you. Because we worship him with our heart. So when that person texts you or messages you. You can ignore it. Best just to block it. Send it to the spam folder. Delete it. Well, you know, last example, last example. When it comes to getting rid of that kind of stuff, tapering off is not a good plan. Um... The staff is well aware of a story that I like to tell in team meeting because it's so apropos to many things that we do in life. And the story is of a zookeeper who's training a rookie zookeeper, first day of training for the novice wannabe zookeeper. And so the rookie comes in to the zoo office and the well-seasoned zookeeper is there. And Welcome to the team. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, well, let's get started. Our first order of business is to go to the, the monkey enclosure. So they off to go to the monkey enclosure. And the well-seasoned zookeeper tells the young apprentice, the job is that we've had a, a couple newborn monkeys and they don't have a tail. We're supposed to crop their tail and so I'm gonna send you in. You see that monkey right there? I want you to go crop that monkey's tail. I want you to cut that monkey's tail off. Mortified, the rookie goes in with his little hatchet, grabs that monkey by the scruff of the neck, takes him back behind the enclosure, and you hear the most blood-curdling monkey scream you ever heard in your life. And the zookeeper's like, wow, that was, that was a success. But the, the novice, the rookie, the apprentice didn't come out. And then about 20 seconds later, you heard another blood-curdling scream of a monkey. And another 20 seconds went by. And another blood-curdling scream. And the zookeeper ran back there. What are you doing? And the rookie said, well, you know, I didn't think it was hurt as much if I took a little bit off at a time. It's not a true story. Please don't hate me. It's just, a, it's just an illustration. It's not a true story. But that's how some of us try to deal with things in our life that are besetting sins. They have a gravitational, that the mass of that thing in your life warps time around you. And you become a black hole, and, uh, and then you can't get free. One little yes ends up being a thousand yeses. So you have to say no, and you have to be consistent in your no. Delete, 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 delete. That's not for me. 
Well, Tommy gets two and I see Lisa do it and I see, who cares what? If they jumped off the bridge, little Tommy, would you jump? Listen, if it's good for, you gotta do you. And when the Lord comes to you and says, get off the mountain, go get connected, or he says, here's somebody to get connected to, you gotta, you gotta weigh your options and you gotta be happy to sacrifice whatever it is the Lord has commanded you to sacrifice. So, 12 other people may be able to do that, but you can't, so don't. Just be faithful. So the benefit, watch this. Second Kings, end of story. Chapter two, when the Lord was about to take Elijah. Wait a second. Wait a second. The whole story now is like this. Elijah connects with Elisha. They live their whole life together. Uh, and, and by the way, their connect group grew, grew to 50. It says the company of prophets with them was 50. So the two of them multiplied themselves out and their, and their connect group was the size of 50 on the day that Elisha was going to be taken up to heaven. Elisha asked for a double portion anointing. And if you do the math and you check out the miracles, you'll see that in Elisha's life, he did exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah did. Why? He's connected to that guy. First two of, or chapter two of 2 Kings, verse one. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as you, the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. For sake of time, it happens again in verse number four. And Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. It happens again in verse six. Elisha said to him, stay here. Elisha replied, no, 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 no. I will not leave you. And as a result, the blessing flowed generationally through Elisha's family. So if you don't serve the Lord for yourself, would you do it for your kids or your grandkids? Because the, their household was blessed. And the result was a double portion. God doesn't demand success. He demands faithfulness. So here's how this is going to wrap up this morning. First of all, your connection with Jesus needs to be there. Perhaps you're in the camp of Elijah. You need to move. You have to admit you're wrong and you have to seek out connection. First of all, that's with Jesus. Isn't that how we got saved? We had to move. We had to admit we were wrong and we had to seek out connection. And then Elisha had to walk away from his security. He had to leave his mom and his dad. He had to leave his soul ties and he burned his bridges. He sent the devil spam. I'm going to give you a paradox. And in your, uh, in your Western mind, we don't like paradox because they're two opposing truths that are both true. And so this thing called Christianity, you have to do it alone, but you have to do it together. You have to do it by yourself, and you can't do it alone. It's a lot easier to do it by myself. You know why? Because you're not in my business. I don't mind being on top of the Mount Horeb. Just me and God thinking I'm the only one. 
It's safe there with my tinted windows and my security fence. You don't get to see, you don't get to see my flaws and I don't have to say sorry. I was ruh, 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 ruh. It's easy there. I'm asking you to come down and get connected. Because what's coming, you're gonna need to be connected. You're gonna need to be connected. You can't do it alone. And you're not alone. So A, listen, some of you are happy being alone. I'm speaking to you. Don't be happy with that. Seek out connection. Some of you feel alone and, and you realize that's not good for you. Then seek out connection. Be a part. Get yourself involved. First of all, with Jesus, get connected to him. Secondly, get connected to the body of Christ. I mean, as I was praying, I said, God, I want to talk this final sermon on connection before the connection conference weekend. Give me a word, Lord. And he just brought Elijah and Elisha to mind. Here's two powerhouses of ministry who said we need each other. I need you and you need me. You may not like me, I may not like you, but we have to be together. The nose cannot say of the eye, I have no need of you. We're going to do this together. We're going to do this together with a whole basketfuls of I was wrong and I'm a sorry's. And being okay with that. You know why? Because there's coming a day when you need grace and mercy. And with the measure that you give, it'll be received to you, right? So why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Because today is going to be a brand new start for somebody. Maybe it's you. It's going to be a brand new start for you. I uh, once ministered to a, a young man who had a pornography issue. This is many years ago. He had a pornography problem. And I said, well, and it was always on his computer. I said, well, why don't you just cut, cut the plug off the end of your computer? Because I tried everything. I tried everything. Well, then just cut the plug off your computer. Well, I can't do that. I can't burn my ox. I can't tear up my cart. Everybody else has a computer. What would I do if I didn't have a computer? See what I mean? Now that's, a, that's an, and, and, and when I told him that, he left the church. He left the church. Just left the church. And I don't know if he's been healed of that issue in his life or not. But I gave him what I thought was the best advice at the time because he went down every row, but he kept leaving breadcrumbs. Bread he kept leaving breadcrumbs. I'm like... Dude, you're setting yourself up for failure. I mean, ha, ha, yeah, I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But I don't want to be Fonzie. I don't want to be that cool. Right? All of us. Figure it out, people. The days are going to get crazier. They're going to get crazier. Father, we just bow our heart to you today. And I want you to think right now as the Lord is there ministering to you, what is that thing? Do you like your aloneness, but you're saying, I gotta get connected? Then do that. Maybe if the Lord's put a price tag on your, on your faithfulness and he says, I need you to do this, but you go, gosh, that's awful expensive in the spirit realm. I don't know if I could do that. Well, then you got a couch sticking out the window of the vehicle of your life. You still might get to where you're going, but you're going to have a lot of issues, difficulties. So, Father, here we are. We just lay our life open to you this morning. We say, please forgive us. We repent. That was so not right. That was actually wrong. 
and we willingly admit it and we say, God, I, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to be that. I want to do and be what you call me to do and be. And if that's you, just raise your hand with me. Father, here we are. We're sojourners. We're on this journey together. Padawans, just novices, rookies, trying to be an apprentice of the king. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. And in that, find success, sweet success in our marriages, in our homes, raising our kids and grandkids, being parents to our parents. Whatever role that we're in, God, help us to be faithful, faithful to your word, faithful to your spirit. Create in us a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. As I come back to the cross this morning, I lay it all out so you can burn it up. Burn it all up. Burn it all up. Burn it all up. Now, if you've made that commitment to the Lord, it goes like this. I am weak, but you are strong. Because you've tried to muscle through the decision yourself many, many times and failed. But today, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You will not fall. Lift high the shield of faith, sword of the spirit. For those who are with you are more than those who are against you. And so may the peace of God cover your life. May the grace of God go before you. The grace of God is already in your afternoon, giving you a way of escape. Lord, we walk with you in humility, asking that you would lead us by your spirit, that we and our lives would be pleasing to you, that our behavior would be pleasing to you, our speech would be pleasing to you, that you would be the unseen guest at every conversation we have. No reason to yell and scream. But Lord, let us walk in humility and kindness. You're the king of the earth. We, your servants, may we, may we give you honor in all we do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.